This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 20th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Getting a handle on those risky derivatives means top-down regulation, according to the Obama administration. But a mechanism Senator Blanche Lincoln and others want to use to bring light to those derivatives, the clearinghouse, has a few problems. That, according to Cato Institute senior fellow Peter Van Doren, clearinghouses have, until this legislation, been largely voluntary. And while clearinghouses deal well with standardized commodities, derivatives are anything but standard. Clearinghouses are a form of insurance for parties that trade in futures markets of of any sort. And they're voluntary organizations. Um, They... The, the main benefit is of all the trades that take place in a futures market every day, if they were bilateral, that is, if they did not involve a clearinghouse, um, each separate transaction would involve collateral on the part of both parties. And that can add up if you're trading thousands of times a day. So a clearinghouse, the benefits are um, it admits people, it screens them for creditworthiness and things like that. And in turn, for their capital that they put up and and put into the clearinghouse, the clearinghouse then charges them only once for their net position, not for all the gross positions they take in trades, many of which may balance each other off in a 24-hour period. So a clearinghouse has benefits by, in effect, charging collateral only for the net position rather than for all the separate gross positions that uh, members of a clearinghouse would take. And as such... A whole lot more transactions can take place because we all only have a limited amount of collateral to put up in in those kinds of situations. But there are also some informational benefits that clearinghouses provide to the participants. Everyone in clearinghouse, everyone's position, that is everyone, their net long or net short position in pork bellies or orange juice or oil futures or whatever, um, is is information and public to everyone in the clearinghouse, so they know more about um, the the net position of everybody than in a bilateral market. So in, a, in an over-the-counter market, uh, each participant would know its relationship with each of the parties it made contracts with, but it wouldn't know anything about what each of them in turn had done with each other, and so on and so on. But the, from an economist's point of view, the main, the overwhelming benefits of the clearinghouse are to its members. In other words, it's, it's, pri- it's private collective benefits. Everyone, the public interest in clearinghouses is basically because um, we had a financial, uh, whatever we want to call it, a financial collapse, and everyone wants an answer, and this is everyone's answer to a problem. And um, in the academic setting, uh, it's much less clear whether it's an answer or not. Again, it has benefits, but it also has costs. And in most financial trading markets, clearinghouses are adopted by members voluntarily because they provide benefits, and they know what the costs are, but they monitor them, the moral hazard of insuring against trades. In the over-the-counter derivative market, um, most economists think that uh, even though the benefits are apparent, the costs are overriding in this case, which is why they haven't voluntarily uh, formed a clearinghouse. And the costs being separate from, say, contracts on orange juice or fuel oil or some other commodity, the derivatives are products that do not have a technical specific connection other than information tied to those products the the issue is um 
in a bilateral market, the guesses about the future are based on econometric models. And these models are proprietary, and all the traders in the current over-the-counter derivative market have their own. And they in turn deal with parties based on their knowledge of what those parties' models look like. So imagine we throw a clearinghouse in the setting. The clearinghouse is going to have its own staff, and it's not going to pay as much as all the, 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 the banks that are actually trading with each other. So the, the clearinghouse is unlikely to be able to develop expertise in all the different kinds of models and all the different kinds of products that the traders are actually trading in. That would mean that it's likely that, also our, the listeners need to understand that clearinghouses charge one price to insure against everyone's participation. So there wouldn't be differential pricing for all the participants. So then the more risky uh, participants in a clearinghouse for derivatives would in fact impose risk on other members without the members knowing it because the pricing system wouldn't be able to take into, into account. And even it's, it's clearly even if differential pricing were a part of clearinghouses, the clearinghouse staff would be unlikely to have developed econometric models that in turn could make guesses about what the traders are trying to do that's in fact more risky than the price being charged for the clearinghouse services. The derivatives themselves are not standard. In the current market, they're not. They're a clearinghouse would, would in a if anything, impose some standard on products or... A clearinghouse is compatible only with standardized products. And so there's no such, it's not, in the current legislation doesn't state that clearinghouses would be required for everything. There, there's language, as I gather from the newspaper, that, quote, individualized or non-standardized products would be exempt. Well, not only would they be exempt, they'd have to be. There's no such thing as a clearinghouse for non-standardized products. It's sort of like trying to square a circle. So it's impossible what I don't know is if if this loophole is so big that, in fact, the legislation's meaningless, i.e., everyone would continue to trade individualized products. No one would trade standardized products, so the clearinghouse would exist for nothing. Or if the purpose of the legislation, in effect, is to ban non-standardized products, force everyone into standardized products, which would then go through a clearinghouse. Now, reformers think that would somehow have prevented AIG from collapsing, but sort of, again, imagine lots of traders and imagine that they'd been members of a clearinghouse and then AIG had gotten into duck soup, which is what it did, and then margin calls start to occur. Well, the problem is AIG didn't have enough capital and that was liquid, that was of market value so that it could in effect give everybody all the money that they wanted when the margin calls started to occur. If a clearinghouse had been in, in existence, all that would have happened is the clearinghouse would have gone bankrupt. In other words, the, the weird thing about clearinghouses is all they can do is deal with what's called position risk, which is the, the variation in the market value of, of this kind of future or this kind of derivative contract based on annual data and then have margin calls associated with that. So-called balance sheet risk, which is what other things does the firm do besides derivatives, which in turn could go south, which in turn could make it default. The clearinghouse cannot and does not charge for that. And then third is systemic risk, which is 
What if through bad luck everyone gets into something like subprime mortgages, which everyone thought was going to be okay, which then in turn did not? Clearing houses cannot and do not charge for systemic risk. So the two things that went wrong in, in 08 and 09, clearing houses actually have no answer for, cannot have an answer for, never have an, had an answer for. The one thing they deal with, which is position risk, um, the parties themselves were, were doing quite fine with that, and that is not what went wrong. Uh, it was balance sheet risk and systemic risk. If a clearinghouse were imposed upon the derivatives market, might that prevent a better option from emerging, dealing with all of these non-standard products and all the Well, balance, um, balance sheet risk is best dealt with in a bilateral sense. I mean, if you're Goldman Sachs and you're buying a CDS from Citibank, you want to check out Citibank, and Citibank in turn wants to, to check you out. Once you're in a clearinghouse, the incentives to check all that out are, are reduced. So a clearinghouse desensitizes people to balance sheet risk and to systemic risk. But I know of no institution that uh, market-oriented people have argued for that would have arisen if there hadn't been clearinghouses, which could deal with balance sheet risk uh, better than just uh, individual counterparty monitoring. And systemic risk is the big kahuna. It is, it's the thing we don't see until it comes, and then we all blame each other that we didn't see it. And I know of no institution that, in fact, other than the rearview mirror, that, that seems to be very good at, at detecting systemic risk. But Barney Frank wants to give us a systemic risk regulator to, to put the clamps down on that particular kind of risk. True. Um, Jagadish Gokhale and uh, my colleague here, Cato, and I wrote a paper about a year ago um, carefully going through the economics literature in real time where um, economists were saying, can we with 95% confidence detect a housing bubble and therefore in turn advise policymakers they ought to do something about it? And what we show is that there were some economists who said things weren't good, but they couldn't econometrically show it. And so they had opinions, just like you or I, but in fact, if, if a regulator were to, to, to have to be in charge of finding this, presumably the rules would state that it's not just up to the leader of the, the risk agency to detect it. They would have to have methodology that would pass muster. Presumably that would be econometric models of one sort or another. And what Jagadish and I found is that in real time, um, we know of no article in the literature that with 95% confidence, detected this and then said we need to do something about it. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine and a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more on derivatives, the financial crisis, and regulation at cato.org.